Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Anita Jaisinghani from Pondicherry coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's a beverage consultant who has worked on the programs for a number of bars and restaurants. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. The last time you were on the show, we talked about how worried we are that bars are going to not be the same after the pandemic. And afterwards, you told me, I just want to talk about restaurants. I don't want to talk about bad things anymore. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) That's what I would like to talk about. All right. So I I have three items in the news of the week for you, and it's all good news. All right. Topic number one. Last week, we revealed the winners of the Culture Map Tastemaker Awards. Very briefly, our restaurant of the year, Himalaya, chef of the year, Jason Vaughn of Nancy's Hustle. Rising Star Chef of the Year, Felipe Riccio of Rosie Cannonball. Bartender of the Year, Lindsay Ray of Two-Headed Dog. Pastry Chef of the Year, Julia Doran of Nancy Sussel. Bar of the Year, Monkey's Tail. Neighborhood Restaurant of the Year, Le Baguette. Best Brewery, Buffalo Bayou. Best Wine Program, Public Services. Best New Restaurant, Mad. And Best Pizza, Pizarro's. Overall, how do you think we did? I think you guys did awesome. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Some of the things that I see, like even before the pandemic, you know, one of the things that I that we constantly see is like super high powered, just a lot of like really big name restaurants. And what we're seeing right now, which I'm totally in love with, is the rising of great neighborhood spots, you know. Like all, like almost everyone in here, almost everyone in here is neighborhood. It's people that are commute that are like supported by their community and how people feel about their neighborhood spots, you know, um, Buffalo Bayou. I mean, you walk in there, I mean, not right now, but you know, like you walk in there and it's, you know, it's lots of families or lots of like neighborhood, you know? Right. Uh, Super approachable menu with the pizza yeah. and the burgers and the wings. Very friendly. You know, yeah. I mean, you've known, you've known Arash for a long time. You know, I've had, had him on the show before. I've had Rasul, the owner of Buffalo Bayou on the show before. So yeah, I mean, that's one. I, I mean, not to toot my own horn because there's a, a whole panel of judges that voted for this stuff. It's not, they're not my awards. It's, it's bigger than that. But yeah. I was really pleased that Le Baguette won Neighborhood Restaurant of the Year. I do feel like we're all very excited about the intersection of Vietnamese food and like kind of Texan, like barbecue traditions, right? Like Blood Brothers are doing that. They're killing it. Uh, Sin Cow, the restaurant that you're doing the beverage program for. Christine Han, Tony Wynn's restaurant. That's going to be a big focus on what they do. Um, And Le Baguette started as a food truck and they've been you know, slowly growing over the years and kind of evolving into what they've become. And I, I mean, I've never had a bad meal 
at that yeah, restaurant? I'm, yeah, and I mean, in Monkey's Tail, Monkey's Tail has evolved into a neighborhood spot, you know, like pizzas, you know, um, you know, all their snacks, but they're, but they're, they're really supported by the community. I mean, even, even throughout this, they've been doing, um, they've been doing like several meals to first responders and a couple of other programming, programming with, uh, with some schools, like again, neighborhood, you know, at first when, uh, Nancy's hustle opened, it's like, Oh, how random, like this restaurant, you know, all the way out here with not much around it, guess what? Neighborhood supported, always busy, you know? And even then, even now that they're not open, they constantly are like, sell out, sell out, sell out, sell out. Cause it's supported by the, by the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, I mean, Nancy's hustle has become a destination with all kinds of national acclaim, you know, and they've won basically every, Every award that we have eligible to give them, they have now won because Jason Vaughn won Rising Star Chef of the Year the first year they were open. Now he won Chef of the Year. You know, Julia was nominated for her work at Bernadine's back in the day and then for her time at Nancy Sussel. And of course, Nancy Sussel run Restaurant of the Year in 2019. So, you know, at this point, I think we have given... We've given all of the all of the clear engraved plates to Nancy's Hustle that we can give to them. Yeah, no, I mean, all of these are they're really great. I mean, Pizarro's, I've I've loved them since when they were at um they were a memorial. And again, they're in a great they're in a great neighborhood and and they've been supported, you know, by they've supported that neighborhood as well. You know, obviously our beloved Himalaya, you know what I mean, which I still have not said it correctly, which is fine. Well, right. I mean, most people read it and say Himalaya, like the mountains. Kaiser says Himalaya. So I try to be mindful of the way that the, the chef owner says it. I'm, I'm going to continue to mess it up. I'm just, I'm just going to take it at that. You know, that's it. Right. Uh, end of story. What I usually like about the Tastemaker Awards is that they feel very of the moment. You know, like they, they feel roughly correct for that year. Uh, mm-hmm. But Himalaya, it's like it's a it's a lifetime achievement award. Yeah, no. So um, good job, good job, gang. Y'all didn't mess it up. <laughs> did you did did any of them make you mad? Any anything you're uh, anything you're salty about? Uh, no, I'm actually I'm pretty happy with all of this. You know, like, are you just expecting for me to be salty? That is kind of <laughs> your role in the world. Okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I, I did see I did see some feedback on Instagram that none of the Chef of the Year nominees were women. Now, some of the Rising Star Chef of the Year nominees were women. And, of course, the Pastry Chef and the Bartender nominees are, are pretty evenly split. You know, all I, all I really have to say about that is that it's something to be mindful of, right? There are certainly women who are qualified to be chef of the year nominees and have been in the past. I think Anita is one of those chefs that is uh, coming on the show here in a little bit. But so I feel like we get a little better at this every year and I, I take the criticism to mind and, and we'll be mindful of it in the future. And that's, you know, I don't, I don't know that I have much more to add to it. I mean, get it together. It's 2020. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you, we were topic number two. We were talking about Monkey's Tail as our Bar of the Year winner. 
they are already working on their next project. They have taken over the former petrol station space for a new unnamed bar. And until they tell me what the name is, I am going to call it Monkey Station because <laughs> that makes me happy. Uh, does this feel like kind of the right move for them to you, do you think? I mean, who am I to tell these dudes what their next move is, man? They're, it's their money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> look, honestly, I has taken over the petrol station so i don't have to get horrible service again in that spot because anything is better than the uh, god awful service that i used to get at petrol station so i mean my goodness so (laughs) i mean out of control rowdy rowdy like that's all i can say like the worst state, the worst service ever. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of joking about that, but I think that that neighborhood, you know, could use another spot. Um, it's a lot of it is outside. So if that means that when they open, it's just, you know, the outdoor patios and, uh, that little woodsy area that they have, like, cool, awesome, rad, you know? So, um, I mean, I'd like to see what they have to, what they have to give. Cause like, I don't think there's much in that way that does like good cocktails. Right. So they're, they're going to add their cocktail program to it. Right. Uh, Greg Perez is the bartender. He's kind of working on that. Yeah. I, I would be hard pressed to sort of list cocktail destinations in that immediate area. I mean, Cottonwood will sell you a cocktail, but it's really more of a beer place. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, you know, there's a uh, crowbar across the street, which is, it's a, it's a little dive bar. There's like three or four little dive bars all sprinkled within that neighborhood. But as far as like having like a vi- vibrant food program or um, a, an outstanding kitchen and um, like anything like that, like, no, I think, um, I think it's, um, I think it, would, it it'll do very well in that neighborhood. Right. Part of what I like about Monkey's Tale is that it's, it's got that super affordable food menu. So you can get, you know, a burger for like six bucks. You can get a pizza for 10 or $12. You can get wings pretty affordably. And of course they do the happy meal. So you can get a burger, a beer and a shot for eight bucks or a slice of pizza, beer and a shot for eight bucks or six wings with a beer and a shot for 13. You know, I, I think that's really smart. And of course they've brought on, Stephen Ripley, who designed the menu for Monkey's Tail, to be the director of operations for both uh, Monkey's Tail and Monkey Station. Again, that's not its name. I just like calling it that. Well, you, you worked with Stephen at both Hungry's and Jonathan's The Rub. He's my dang favorite. I don't care what anybody says. Like, right. Well, tell I, the people why he's your dang favorite. Well, he's first off, he's kind. <laughs> organized and cares for his staff and for whoever he's working, working with. I mean, what else can I say, dude? The guy's a badass. Um, he came from the kitchen. He used to work at Helen's. I think people that work back of the house first and jump to the front of the house end up being like monsters because a front of the house makes more money. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Second, 
they're not hot and sweaty anymore. <laughs> right, they get to they get to wear nice clothes. I mean, when yeah. I met Stephen, he was the chef at DNT Drive-In many, oh, many years yeah. ago. Yeah. Right. So I think I think, and obviously the success of Monkey's Tale, he understands like what works in a bar environment. So even if the menu is slightly different at the new bar, like it's still going to be good. Well, yeah, got, and I mean, like, he's got a lot of understanding. Yeah, like my friend Morgan Robinson worked for Reef for years and is a total badass. Moved to New York, lived, worked at Blue Crab and a bunch of other really like high end restaurants. And then finally, last year, decided to jump to the front of the house. And he's a badass bartender. Sarah Troxel, chef, you know, worked at Eatsy Boys. Um, worked at several other spots and then decided to jump to the front. Dude, like, it's a win-win-win, you know? Um, And then on top of that, like, not only are you the director, you know how everything works in the back, you you know everything in the front, and you're nice about it. It's just, I don't know, man. It's It it works well. I'm really excited for them. Then topic number three, something that came up on the show last week, Kenny and Ziggy's is official. Now it's official. It was when I talked to Ziggy Gruber last week, it was, it was still a little bit of a rumor. Now it's official. Kenny and Ziggy's will move from its current location at the corner of Post Oak and Westheimer, about half a mile up the street to the corner of Post Oak and San Felipe in the current, in the space that is currently occupied by Luby's. This is a much larger restaurant. So it will come with a number of advantages, including a patio including a bigger private dining room, uh, a bar area with like an old fashioned soda fountain with ice cream and sundaes and cocktails. Uh, what? I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, what, what pairs with a pastrami sandwich? Um, I, I'm like, I'm literally like my brain is just broken. I'm like, what? They're going to do cocktails. They're they're adding spirits. They've always had beer and wine, but they're going to add a full bar. Oh man, a Pimm's cup all the way. Light, refreshing. Yes. Oh, uh, a a Pimm's cup. I mean, some cool Tom Collins spins. Man, oh, oh man. All right, get I mean, it, boo boo. Get you it. Like- you like Kenny and Ziggy's quite a bit, right? Uh, you know what? I'm about that life. Yeah. So, what do you think? I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a big step for Ziggy. He's he has to move because apparently that shopping center is on track for redevelopment. Okay. So it's well, all gonna get, mean, it's all going to get torn down and go vertical. I mean, so here's the deal about cocktails and like, I don't know. I mean. Do I think it's going to be a cocktail destination? No. Of course not. No, no. Of course course not, right? So it's just adding another layer, another another extra little thing for people to to kind of dive into, right? And I would probably even use I I would probably use this time to do like some cool lemonades, you know, and doing a couple of other things. But I mean, let's just be clear. Kenny and Ziggy's is like one and done. The portion size are ridiculous. So it's not like you're going to make much room to have two or three cocktails. 
but I'm excited to see what they've got going on. You know, like it's just another, it's just another source of revenue for them and another, another soundboard for great flavors and good ingredients. Cause I mean, that's really what they're known for. Absolutely. And, and like Ziggy said on the show last week, it's going to be Kenny and Ziggy's on steroids, you know, bigger, better, better. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's a personal favorite of mine. Obviously I have like an emotional connection to that kind of food. All right, Linda, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to what's Eric eating. Our restaurants of the week are brought to you by Cutwater Spirits. Cutwater Spirits takes their award-winning real spirits, uses them to make great cocktails, which they then put into cans, so you can easily take them where no cocktail has gone before, even if that's just your own backyard in summer 2020. Cutwater offers a convenient way to enjoy your favorite bar-quality cocktail outside of the bar setting. They have a wide variety of over 17 delicious canned cocktails and 20 bottled spirits, so there is something for everyone. The Vodka Mule, Tequila Margarita, Grapefruit Vodka Soda, and Tequila Soda are just a few of their fan favorites. You can find Cutwater locally at Specs, Total Wine, Goody Goody, and more. Visit CutwaterSpirits.com for more information. Linda, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about Houston Restaurant Weeks. This is the ongoing charity dining promotion that takes place throughout the month of August. Have you picked any, have you had any HRW meals yet this month? I certainly have. I Where actually, did you go? I popped into BB Lemon. Very nice. What did you have on their HRW menu? Man, their menu was really good. Like it has, you know how like sometimes you look at an HRW menu and it's like, oh, it's like three things and then from this little category and then three things from this little category. Their menu has nine or 10 different options in each category other than the dessert. I ended up ordering a clam chowder and a wedge. And then uh, I ended up uh, getting a, a burger and fish and chips, which is a freaking steal for them. I like right, going so to two courses, $20 lunch. That's what it sounds like yeah. you, you up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean the, the menu, I mean like that's, it's a casual restaurant, you know, it's a casual restaurant and like generally like I end up spending a little bit of money there. So it was a really, really, really good deal for lunch. And they had a couple of other options for the, uh, for the, because I looked at the dinner menu as well, but like super reasonable, fast service. I really like what they do over there. Their patio is uh, covered now and there's plenty of spacing. Their cocktail menu is good. They've got a frosé that's outstanding. So like, I mean, they've, they've got it going on. And like from the sounds of it, I walked in there. This is obviously the first week um, I was talking to the bartenders and basically they were like, dude, we are so freaking busy. So looks like everybody else is liking that menu too. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things, Ben Berg, you know, the owner of BB Lemon and B&B Butchers and a couple other places, you know, B&B has been the top donor for Houston restaurant weeks for the last two or three years. And one of the reasons that's the case is that they give you a better 
mix of options at their menu, um, a lot of value, right? Like if, if most steakhouses are, you know, a six ounce portion, like maybe you get eight ounces or 10 ounces. It, it's kind of the same thing at, at BB Lemon, right? I've had, you know, it, it's very easy to get, you know, an app, an entree, a side or whatever, spend 30, 40 bucks. You know, this time you go and it's, it's $20 at lunch or 35 at dinner. It's, it's very reasonable. So yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you had a good experience there and I am not surprised. I actually had the opportunity to go to Woodshed Smokehouse. This is Tim Love's, it's not really a barbecue restaurant. They, they make barbecue, but they, it's not exclusively barbecue. It opened up in Levy Park like a week or two before the initial shutdown. So it's been kind of flying under the radar, but I had their two course lunch. I started with, um, I had uh, smoked ribs with a dry rub that I thought were pretty tasty. Uh, and a loaded baked potato on the side, and then their fried mixed berry pie for dessert. Uh, paired that with a cucumber jalapeno margarita. Mm. It was all good things, very refreshing on a hot Friday afternoon. Right. The other thing, the other thing I like about Woodshed is it's kind of a big, like indoor outdoor space, right? It's got it's got big ceiling fans, roll up doors that they. A couple of them were open. You know, you come in, they took your temperature, optional logbook. So if you want to participate in contract tracing, you can. Just uh, like at, at a time when I know some people are still really nervous about dining out or, or even people who are dining out want to know that the restaurant is being very cautious in how they're operating. Uh, I really thought they were doing things the right way and it's worth noting. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I really appreciate that that um, that kind of like login. Hey, if you're here, we want to let you know if something if something comes up. You know, I know that Rosie Cannonball and uh, and Montrose Cheese and Wine and you know that whole group. I was there this weekend, and I popped in to grab a a cappuccino. You know, on their little side patio, and you know, we're just like, oh, I'm just gonna put, pick up. They're like, no, 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 like please let's get, you know, let's get you logged in so that we, we know that like we're keeping you safe. We're keeping ourselves safe. And, you know, and like those little precautions mean a lot to me, you know? Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, and especially like a really nice big space, big space around, you know, now there's outdoor seating and so on and so forth is always really helpful. Right. And then I know that you went to Musifer recently for drinks. And since you're our resident bar expert on the show, what did you think of the cocktails at Musifer? I mean, uh, I really hate, hate to say this, but like Musifer is what Mad dreamt to be. Like their cocktails are outstanding. Like Matt has always had a pretty good cocktail menu, but like yeah, Matt, I've I've had cocktails at Matt. Matt, Matt makes really delicious cocktails. They make delicious cocktails, but like Musafer does outstanding. Like what makes them so next level? I guess just just try to be a little bit specific for the people. I, honestly, it's just the thoughtfulness and ingredient use. Um, and there's it's little little touches that make 
make those cocktails really excellent. Um, clarified, clarified citrus, um, beautiful, obviously beautiful eyes, things that I have not seen in the city that I've seen in other, in like around the country, ingredient use. They had a chopped masala leather. So it's basically like a fruit roll up, but made out of chopped masala and, and like a couple of other ingredients. Like they're just really thoughtful. So if you get a chance, if anyone gets a chance, please go check out their, um, their, their program. The, actually the, the bar director there has only done cocktail, like high end cocktails in, um, in most of it, most of some, some in India and some in Asia. So he comes from really, really high end cocktail bars. Uh, and so this is his very first like restaurant bar. So you're, you kind of have like someone that really understands a good eye for cocktails there. Yeah. And of course I had a really good meal there shortly after it opened, you know, at their invitation and, I have been meaning to get back there and I just, I just need to make it a priority, you know, Yeah, maybe, and it, they have a cool brunch menu that I'd like to try at some point. And maybe that means, you know, sitting on the patio or sitting away from people in the dining room or I'm not, I'm not quite sure how to approach that, but I do. I really do want to go back there. Yeah. It's really great. All right. Linda, that does it for our restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks. All right, and I will be right back with Anita Jaisinghana. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I am joined this week by the chef owner of Pondicherry Restaurant. Anita Jaisinghani, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for being here. I always like to start at the sort of at the beginning of a person's career. So how did you become interested in being a chef? I didn't really get interested in being a chef. I just love to cook. So it seemed like the natural progression. And this is from my teenage years. Did you grow up cooking like with your mother or your family or how did Yes. Well, I cooked in my family home when I was in my teenage years, just from um, my mother falling ill and my needing to get into the kitchen. So I did. And it kind of started my, and in those days I was cooking super traditional Indian restaurant food since we didn't eat out that much. So that's what got me into cooking uh, and doing a lot of Chinese food at home, which in India, there's a lot of really good Indian Chinese food. So that's what started me into cooking. And then how did you, how did you make your way into professional kitchens? When did you, when did you kind of start that? Well, I came here from the, from Canada in the nineties and I wanted to do something in the food world when I was even a teenager, but my parents were like, oh, it's not a respectable career for, you know, women. There was, this is the, you know, early 80s. So I'm like, okay. So I studied microbiology, came to Canada, saw the condition of Indian food and how I felt it was kind of a generic cuisine. I feel it was at the time. And then I came to the U.S., to Houston, and um, I got into, like, we did some catering for some people we knew, you know, in the oil business. And then I started a small sauce company and I sold uh, chutneys to Whole Foods and Rice Epicurean. This is in the late 90s, like 97, 98. And that did really well, but it was just kind of, you know, it was a kind of a, a learning curve and how to package a product. So then we, 
I wanted to go to school. I went to school for a bit at the restaurant hotel management, but from there I went and applied for a job at Cafe Annie and worked at Cafe Annie for about almost two years. What was that like working for Robert Del Grande? It was amazing. I wouldn't be here without their support. They were the generous, amazing people. They, they run a great restaurant, uh, but more than that, they really fostered, I felt, my interest in food and gave me the confidence that I needed to make that push. And then, right, and then you opened Indica, right? Yes, 2001, July 17th. I mean, you know, like you said, you grew up cooking very traditional Indian food and you found the Indian food that you encountered in Canada and then in Houston um, a little bit lacking. So how did you, how did you sort of bridge the gap with Indica? Like what, what were you doing to sort of create what you weren't experiencing? Well, I feel like Indian food had this generic, like I said, you know, feel to it. And it all was either buffet food. And I knew I had, obviously eaten Indian food, I'd eaten regional Indian food, and there is such a variation. There is more probably variation in Indian cuisine uh, than any other. And I say this because obviously I'm very biased. If you go to Italy, different parts of Italy, the food is so different. And it's same thing in India, the food in Gujarat, the province I grew up, to what the food is in like New Delhi or in Kerala or in Calcutta is so different. And yes, we all use spices, but aside from that, there is a whole lot more to it. So I just kind of started with what I knew and I, I loved street food. So I wanted to elevate street food. So I started with uh, putting out a menu that had really interesting, a salad take on a street food. So, and you know, I had also, at the time that I was at Cafe Annie, a restaurant in New York had opened up called Tabla. That was, the chef was Floyd Cardoz and Robert knew Danny Meyer well. So they arranged for me to go spend some time there. And I only spent a few days in that kitchen, but, that was another, I was so excited about what Floyd was doing. I was excited to do something. And he told me, don't do it. Don't get into the business. I didn't listen. Here I am, you know? Yeah, I mean, I remember reading about Indica when it opened and you were doing, everyone was scandalized by goat brain masala. It shouldn't be because I think it's the most tasty thing out there. It is the reason why I don't give up meat. I love goat brain masala so much. Like I love certain or certain meats, you know, they're so flavorful. So, Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I was going to sort of work into that, but you are, I mean, I heard you on the uh, radio cherry bomb episode that, that yes. some chefs from Houston. And one of the things you talked about was trying to sort of move people away from meat. Yes. Um, I mean, I know Pondicherry has meatless Mondays, for example. Not anymore. Oh, not anymore. Okay. Because our menu has a lot less meat than it had like five years ago. So we felt that we didn't need to do that anymore. We had achieved our goal of having a lot less meat on our menu. Right. So how did you sort of become an advocate for that? And and what do you sort of think the benefits are for people? Well, I think the benefits are everywhere from our health to, I think our environment is our biggest, uh, uh, you know, to me, it's what we should all be thinking about. It's, It's how I feel. So, and also it wasn't just that, it was how I felt eating meat. I just felt so much better eating less meat. And uh, it's the direction I've been moving into for the last, I'd say like 
five to eight years and it takes time because you know I also grew up eating meat not much but then when I lived here we ate meat every day like most of us did and do you know so it took time for me to cut it down to five days a week to four days a week to twice a week to you know maybe a couple of meals and now I find that in the last four months I think I've eaten meat like twice and I love it I feel I feel amazing it's I also feel like it's not something that I feel we should and I for my my personal health I just I feel so much better when I don't eat meat I think it's an environmental disaster and uh, and as chefs I feel I have a responsibility to convey that message and you know it's not about not eating meat it's about eating other foods that are amazing so I've tried to change the conversation about don't eat meat I'm just saying here look at all these great vegetables I have I'll throw in a little bit of meat here and there but the meat brings the flavor sometimes but the vegetables are the star and it's more exciting I find like I can buy a great piece of wagyu steak and throw some spices or you know I can make an awesome lamb chop I know that but I find when I get vegetables I'm much more excited by all the possibilities with vegetables. So like, give me a, an example or two of dishes you're making with vegetables that you're. Oh my gosh. We've had such an amazing summer. We had this farm that basically adopted us. We adopted them. Uh, it's called Knob Branch. And they started sending us all their vegetables because so many places were closed back in uh, the end of beginning of end of April. So they started sending us like hundreds of pounds of, Fennel was the first thing we got. And I like fennel, but I didn't know what to do with 400 pounds of fennel. So I made fennel pickle. We had this fennel pizza. And it all started from there. And then really we've spent the last four or five months just taking what they're giving us because they've already planted all this. So I can't pick what they plant. I can, you know, choose to buy what they harvest. And I hate seeing waste. So I'm like, okay, I'll take it. So eggplant, we, we make this amazing eggplant masala in a jar. It's like a, Pickles slash masala. Masala essentially is like a, a concentration of flavors. So I use smoked eggplant to make that. And it's super tasty. You can put that on toast, uh, put that on a pizza. You can just do anything with it. So uh, just like... You've, you know, got a whole, you've got a whole pepper menu right now, right? From exactly. I do. So, and that came from there because he sent us... I mean, even now in our walk-in, there's about three to 400 pounds of peppers. Our one whole wall is peppers. And you're slowly processing the, you know, we've made pickles with peppers. We, we have like a whole menu with it. So, yeah. Yeah. So do you find that people now are more receptive? I mean, I, I know there's, I, yes. I feel like I meet more vegetarians and more vegans now than I did, you know, yes. five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. Agreed. Yes, of course. People, you know, I think people know to expect that from me. So when they come looking for my food, they're expecting me to do, and also with Indian food, it's so easy. You know, Indian food lends itself so well to vegetarian or vegan. And people often tell me that if I, even Ryan Pera, for example, will often tell me when I eat your food, I could just eat vegetarian the whole time, I'd be okay. So I get that, you know, that with all the spices and the seasonings that we put in our food, it's easy to be vegetarian. So I think that's why people respond to us more than probably to other cuisines. Right. So I, I got, I got a little ahead of myself, but I, I did want to go back to the opening of, of Pondicherry. Like how did that kind of evolve out of what you were doing at Indica? So Indica was, you know, a high end white tablecloth place that was to me on a, even though it, it was, you know, I had only seen cafe. My only job was a cafe. So I definitely used that as my model. I didn't try to be as high end as cafe, but it was, 
definitely a place of romance. And I wanted Panishwari to be the kind of place where anybody could eat, where the price point was lower. You know, you could eat a meal in, in 10, 15 bucks lunch and you'd be okay. So that was my my goal is that how how do I make take my food down to a level that is friendly to everybody, yet it's, you know, tasty, healthy, without telling people that it's healthy. So that was really my goal is how do I take the all the regional street foods, uh, home cooking of India and put it on a menu. So that's what Panishri came out of. Well, and we talk about, you know, all day cafe is kind of a, yes. a trendy buzzword, you know, and, and various, uh, various chefs are putting their spin on it all over the country. I mean, you were a little bit ahead of the curve with that, I think. Yes. So actually when I started that, it's really funny. In 2011, I opened Pondicherry and um, people were telling me that you're going to River Oaks, you should be high end. And I'm like, no, it's not going to be high end. And then I had a lot of naysayers saying that you must not do common service. Nobody's going to come in the world to common service. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to do common service. And we decided to do table service at night, which was my original plan. But I got so much pushback from my, you know, really friends in the family, not from customers. Customers embraced that. And I think there was a day on, uh, maybe it'd been open maybe a year at Pondicherry, and I was sitting with a friend. And he asked me a question. And I looked up at the line that was forming at lunch. And I said, you know, that woman there, I think is Nancy Kinder. I think that's her first name. Behind her was our valet parker that came and ate every day with us. He would just come in and get a drink or a sandwich. And behind them was a man in a business suit. Or in a, And I said, look, those are three completely varied markets. And they're all here. And they're standing in line and they're going to eat here. So I felt I had achieved my goal that it was a place for everybody. And I feel it still is. Well, yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, it's such an interesting center, uh, you know, originally West Ave, now Arrive. Correct. You, know, you had you had Katsuya, super high-end sushi restaurant. You know, Robert Del Grande opened a couple of places there. You know, none of them lasted. Del Frisco's Grill yeah. came and went. I mean, you're the survivor. You're the you're the place that's you're the restaurant that's made that location work. Yeah, I know, and I'm. I'm, I feel like the lo- the location has its challenges, but we've always worked around that. So, um, you know, and we have a core regular group that that has stayed with us. So, well, and then you have that whole pastry program. I think you know that yes, yes. that chocolate chip uh, chili, chili cookie, cookie is like one of the best things in the city. And, you know, thank you. One of my, one of my favorite desserts. Thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. We're about to turn it into a cookie cake because when my kids were little, it wasn't popular. It's not popular now, but when my kids were little, they cookie cakes were popular. I mean, my kids are, you know, in their late twenties now, so it's a different time, but I want to make that into a big cookie cake and offer that for people's birthdays. Right. Masala spiced pumpkin pie in the fall. I mean, there's, yes. there's always something very delicious in that, that Thank pastry you. case upstairs. Thank you. Um, how has that evolved for you or, or, you know? Well, actually that happened by accident, Eric. It wasn't something I intended. I don't have a sweet tooth, so I seldom bake. But uh, when I was opening Pondicherry, we ran into some delays because if you remember 2008 was a financial crash. That was a year I signed my lease. And that center was supposed to be built by 09, but it changed hands even then. So actually, Arai is the third owner of that property. 
So even before, after I signed my lease, before they began construction, it was bought by Gables. So, and so Gables, so the whole thing was delayed by about two years. And I think I was so anxious about it happening. And I used that time to teach myself how to make bread because I had gone to San Francisco, eating this amazing loaf of bread at Tartine. And I'm like, how can you get bread like that in Houston? And nobody was making that bread. So I spent about a year just making bread and teaching myself how to make every kind of bread. And, uh, and at the time, the Pondicherry had been already, the, the footprint was down, how it was going to be built. There was no bakery ovens. There was no, there was just a small counter. So when we opened, we just, I think, put like the chocolate chili cookie. I had done that on my Sunday brunch at Indica. And that too happened by accident. One of my cooks, actually my pastry chef at the time, Michael, I hope he's, he listens to this someday. He accidentally put in actually spiced walnuts in our, in our chocolate chip cookie. And we didn't realize that those walnuts were extra spice. So we were like, oh my God, what is this cookie? And customers started asking us that, where, what is this cookie? And that's how the chocolate chili cookie was born. And then when I spent all the time baking bread, I said, okay, so I hired a really awesome baker when I opened uh, uh, the Bake Lab and we then put a really good bread program on, which we still don't sell much bread, but we make really good bread. So that's how it really started. And I don't have a sweet tooth, so I'm very critical of most cookies. I, I still think our food constantly needs to get better and evolve. So it's a constant, constant journey to do that. I mean... It's it's clearly working for you. You're you're one of the finalists for the James Beard Best Chef Texas this year, right? I mean, do, have you thought about what it might be like to win? I mean, yeah, I I would love to win. There's no doubt. Uh, but I've also realized that I, you know I'm in I'm in a journey with myself, you know, to do my personal best. So if I don't win that, I don't win that. I still have, I have a lot of work to do. So I'm not at the end of my career or I'm not sitting here saying, okay, I've done all. I have so much more to do with food. I feel like there's a, I learn new things and new ways to cook. And I'm also, I've got more into teaching people how to cook. I feel like if people cook more, they would eat better. So I've been sharing, I have a recipe website now that I share recipes on and we, we share almost, there's only one recipe I have not given out, but we give recipes out from the restaurant all the time. So people email us, call us. We just, email them our recipes, like, here, you go make it. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, obviously I'd love to win it. There's no doubt, but you know, these awards are, are great ego boost. They're good for business, but it's still someone's opinion. Right. Well, so what are some of your aspirations? You said you're not done with your career. What do you, well, what do you I like want to do? To, yeah. So I want to make masala a household word in America. That's one of my aspirations because, you know, salsa, uh, which I love um, and things like that. Like even I feel other cuisines have managed to, I feel we Indians are not very good at selling ourselves. So, and not that I'm any better than most, but I do want, I think masalas are like blends of spices and seasonings. And it's how I cook in my house. I always have a couple of masalas there to like throw into something. So I want to make masalas a household, whether, whether I, show people how to make them. I sell them. I, you know, uh, publish recipes about them. You know, I do my recipe column in the Chronicle every week. And uh, I've tried to keep that mostly vegetarian and people have really responded well to that. So, I mean, there's a lot of meat in Texas and I love, I love meat too, but this is just a whole nother conversation that I want to have. Right. And then 
I mean, do you do you aspire to other locations of Pondicherry? I mean, I know no. you had one in New York City. Well, I closed that, so. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, no, I don't aspire to open more restaurants. I mean, with COVID, I don't think anybody, sh- anybody that has been has got to be thinking again because this is not the time to open more restaurants, I feel. It's a, and, you know, I feel the whole restaurant model needs to be reexamined and reassessed, including my own. So what do you think post-COVID Pondicherry will be like that's different from the way it was before? Hopefully simpler and more focused. You know, my daughter said to me that she's like, well, my food is so much better now than it was two years ago. And I'm like, why? She goes, because it's so much simpler. And I'm like, it is? She goes, yeah, it is. And I wouldn't have thought that, but I guess it is simpler. So really, you know, the more confidence you get in your cooking, the less you need to cook with. So I feel that I'm able to... I'm able to put flavors together after having cooked with 100 ingredients. You know, if I have 10 ingredients in one recipe, I can take it down to like five or six and make really good food. So it's really about pulling the essence of Indian food. Not everybody wants a very authentic. And authentic is such a, to me, it's a word that really has no meaning. Indian food has traveled through so much um, invasion. You can't, no one knows what real Indian food is because it's, it's really a simple roti and a vegetable. It's certainly not uh, uh, butter chicken. That's not real Indian food. It's what people love about Indian food. So I'm not trying to be authentic or traditional. I'm just trying to make it really good. And also, I always feel like I told um, uh, Rob Walsh many years ago, he's like, what do you think about uh, all the, why do you work so much with local seafood? I'm like, it's like asking me to live in, in America and not breathe the air. So I'm not going to cook in Houston and not use local vegetables, fish, or whatever it is that comes in my door. So really, that, that's what I'm trying to create is, is the essence of Indian food. Right. And then what has your experience been like sort of operating during the pandemic? I mean, are you what are, what are you sort of doing to keep your staff healthy and, and to keep your, your customers safe? I... I I've heard that you're that you in particular are doing a, a very good job with it. Thank you. You know, I I personally did not want to risk. I'm myself over fifty. I wasn't going to just open my doors and let people come in even when they allowed that. So I still don't let people sit in the restaurant. Uh, I require all of us to wear masks. Our counter is almost six feet long, so I'm only doing counter service. So people are standing behind the counter and. Uh, uh, taking uh, taking orders, people like seating themselves outside on our patio, and even in the middle of Texas summer, people are still eating outside. So I know I could make more money if I sat people inside, but it's just not worth the risk of you know one person gets sick, it's going to be a snowball, and I just don't want to do that. And it's not worth to me. I'm just trying to survive right now and trying to use the time to be creative and come up with new ideas. You know, help out farmers that have too much produce. Or whatever that is, but it's the time to, to really just. This is not the time to. Uh, I don't know. I just feel it's the time to to be very safe. I'm. I take this. I mean, I have a big a background in science, so I take uh, a pandemic very seriously. I I believe it in every way. You know. Oh yeah, no. I, I mean, this is a, this is a uh, a a pro believe science, uh, wear your mask, wash your hands. Yes. Uh, podcast, you know, thank but, you. 
but you know, as a diner, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be, I, I keep using the word strategic, right? I, I go to restaurants where, where I feel comfortable, where I, I feel like they're taking care of their staff, where they're mindful of concerns for their customers. I, you know, I, I don't want to be in some, you know, a space that's too crowded right now. I, I want to feel properly distanced. I want to feel. Yeah. I mean, safe. we don't, we don't even have more than like five people in our door at one time, maybe it's two or three and the others are made to wait outside. I have footprints where people can stand. I have hand sanitizer that we make in the house uh, that people can use freely to give it away. So I don't know. I feel like I do everything that I can keep our doors open, plenty of ventilation. Um, we are building a, you know, we are, we are doubling our patio space by the end of this month. So excited about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really nice addition. I know it's yeah. all, all the data suggests eating outside is much safer than eating inside. Yes, no doubt. All right. Well, I, I can't let you leave without the lightning round. Okay. Uh, five, five silly questions that require five short answers. Okay. All right. Anita Jaisinghani, what is your favorite ingredient? Ginger. I use it all day long. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Lionel Richie and Tina Turner in Canada. I know, when I first came in the in the eighties. No, no, I'm extremely jealous of that answer. That's a wonderful answer. Uh. Um, this this podcast also airs on a sports talk radio station, so I always ask people who their favorite Houston sports figure is. Oh, James Harden. My is son is. My son is a huge basketball fan, so we will watch games together. All right. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. I love tacos. So a taco truck. There's an awesome taco place on Washington called Laredo. I oh, love yeah. They make no, tacos with nopales and potatoes and really good barbacoa. So sometimes I'll go. It's not drive-thru, but it's... You know, it's, it's, in, it's in the spirit of the question. I, I, yes. I accept that. And then finally, when you go to a pizzeria, what are your go-to toppings? I love seeing cheese and herbs. I think herbs are what make a good pizza. And not many people use herbs, but I love fresh herbs on pizza. All right. Anita, give us the website for Pondicherry. Pondicherry.com. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.